What's up, everybody? It's IBS Jesus coming at you guys live with the first official episode of the Backdoor Cover uh, because we did finally give our podcast a name. I have with me the host slash co-host, depending on the topic, uh, Keith Fleming. Keith, how you doing? You there? Keith, are you there? All right, so we're having technical difficulties per usual with Blog Talk. Let me try again. Keith, are you there? Can you hear me now? Yep, I got you, man. Yep. Awesome. Do you have a a good Christmas and New Year? Yeah, it was okay. I can't complain. I um, got to go to Atlantic City uh, for Christmas. I'm assuming that was a a low-key Christmas present, um, but (laughs) I enjoyed myself. So, Um, As always, this podcast is brought to you by my bookie, AG. They are an affiliate of the IBN network, and we generally get our odds from my bookie. Um, they have very generous um, prop bets and so forth. Um, the casino is pretty awesome as well on there. So if you're into trying to just get your feet wet with sports gambling, um, they've got a great deal going right now. Um, if you use the promo code IB Sports or IBS Sports, you have to check with Ronnie. If you use the promo code, uh, you do get a rollover that is 100% of your actual deposit, and I do believe that is a one-time rollover offer, so you don't even have to really do anything. You get a free play with however much you deposit, so check it out. Um, We'll go ahead and start. Keith, bring us in. All right. Well, as uh, Alan just said, we have a name for the podcast now, The Backdoor Cover. We're going to try to do every Tuesday night. Uh, We apologize for taking some time off over the holidays, but we will get rolling. Uh, Today will be mostly football and golf, or it is football and golf. We will move into basketball and other sports as the season goes on, but We're going to start with the NFL. We're coming off a really good uh, playoff slate from this past weekend. We had the Texans who covered at home against the Bills in a game uh, that the under hit in the over-under. The Titans went into Foxborough, defeated the Pats, uh, possibly ending their dynasty, depending on your opinion. That was another game that the under hit. On Sunday, the Vikings upset New Orleans in New Orleans in another game that the under hit. I think you're seeing a pattern here. And then finally, the Seahawks defeated the Eagles in Philadelphia. It was an ugly game that Carson Wentz was knocked out early, and it completed the clean sweep of the underhitting in all four games. So let's move to this week's games. We're going to start off on Saturday afternoon, the first game. The Vikings, fresh off their upset in New Orleans, they're going to San Francisco. Uh, It is a short week for the Vikings. They're playing six days traveling across country. Currently, the Niners are giving seven points, and the over-under is 44-and-a-half. Alan, uh, who do you like in this game and why? Um, Obviously, I'm a Niners fan, but I'm not picking the 49ers because I'm a Niners fan. Picking the 49ers because I think the Saints are low-key soft, um, and the Vikings came out, punched them in the mouth, and the Saints do too much complaining as a team, and they're always complaining. I get it. They definitely have – They have a reason to complain. But if you're consistently leaving the game up to the ref, you're going to get these issues, man. And and at the end of the day, you're you're a two-score favorite, and 
you're losing or you're in a position where it comes down to the ref not throwing the flag or something like that. And I, and I just can't sympathize with them over and over and over. They're always complaining. And then the worst part of that game um, last week was when they voluntarily went into overtime instead of going or what I thought was staying aggressive, keeping the momentum, and going for uh, a touchdown to win the game. They settled for the field goal and went into overtime, and then you're essentially leaving it to a coin toss um, because if you don't get the ball first, you the odds of you winning um, are very low. So, again, no sympathy for them. I think the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan are the right team um, to be in this position. They're going to be aggressive. Seven is, is a little lofty. Uh, the Vikings are not a bad team, but I do believe that the Niners match up very well against Minnesota. So I will take the seven and drop it down to six and a half and take the 49ers to win by at least a touchdown. What do you think about the over-under? Uh, the over-under at 44 and a half. Uh, the Niners' defense is, is oh, you would presume, healthy. D4 is coming back. Uh, Tart's coming back. Uh, Sherman's had a, a extra week to continue to, you know, rest his uh, hamstring, which he played Troll the last the couple of games anyway. Yeah, and, and but I, I think that the week off has made everybody um, kind of come in with a fresh slate. You're going to get a lot of energy from a team that's hungry, man. I mean, the, the Niners are the one seed. They, they didn't get it easy. Um, they kind of put themselves in situations that, that made it difficult going down the stretch. But they overcame some of those uh, deficiencies, and, and here they are as the number one seed. And I don't think they're gonna they're gonna squander this opportunity. I am a hundred percent on board with you. I am not a Niners fan, but they are the team that I think is going to go on to win the Super Bowl this year. At least I think they're the best team in football. Uh, the only thing that is concerning is they have been very bad this season against the spread when they're a big favorite. I think I saw they were two and six this year in the eight games that they were a six-point favorite or more. That's against the spread, obviously not actually win-loss. But there's just so many things pointing to a 49ers victory. Uh, it needs to be remembered that Shanahan, who is their head coach, is uh, was brilliant the year the Falcons went to the Super Bowl, particularly in that first game uh, after coming off a bye similar to this. They uh, actually ran some very creative and different plays that they had not ran during the regular season. They scored a ton of points. I expect the 49ers to do the same thing. It does also concern me that the Vikings are traveling across country on a short week, coming off a game that went into overtime. Uh, All these things have me also picking the Niners to cover the spread. I like the over. The only thing that concerns me about that is I think the Niners could uh, get up big. And as you said, their defense is getting healthy. The only thing that concerns me about it is are the Vikings going to be able to score enough points uh, to get that over. So we are both in agreement there. The so Saturday night game. No, go ahead. Before we, before we move on, let me just, let me just say – um, a word of caution with betting over-unders on playoff games. Typically, playoff games slow down um, a whole lot more than what they would um, in the regular season. Typically, people run the ball more. They lean more on their defense. They play more field position. Um, they're, people are more conservative in situations uh, where typically, if it was a regular season game, they would, they would be more aggressive uh, because ultimately, at the end of the day, the goal is to, to win by any means, whereas people are not bent on trying to lay it to a team if they can. They just want to get out this game 
make sure everybody's healthy and move on to the next week uh, type stuff. So you don't get it as aggressive of play calling as you normally would uh, in certain areas um, during the regular season. So I think that's why we saw uh, a lot of unders hit um, last week. Um, I also want to say to just to kind of praise Kyle Shanahan one more time, like there are very few people this year that I have watched um, that were coaches that have like wowed me in the sense that they've come up or with, with some creative way to, to get guys, um, the ball, like, like scheme, you know? Um, I know we talk about this a lot in the group, people scheming, people open. Kyle Shanahan drew up a play that got the fullback 30 yards down the field wide open. Not only is that incredible because he got a fullback wide open, it's incredible because he's using a fullback in the passing game. Like, people don't really do that anymore. And I and I think he, like you had made a note, you know, after the bye week, he, he literally – opened up the playbook, and I think it's, it's been a beautiful thing, and I look forward to hopefully him kind of getting over that hump of people low-key blaming him for the Falcons losing the uh, Super Bowl, but I, I hope that um, he continues to be in that bag and, and he really lays it to the Vikings, because in my mind, this is the same situation that the Vikings found themselves in when the Eagles came into town at one time all the teams are visiting this time. But it's a game where people are like, oh, this might be the game. To, uh, like the Vikings can win this game. And then um, well, my man uh, Nick Foles just blitzed them, um, like from the start to the end, just obliterated them. And I really think that Jimmy G and the Niners offense, the way they've been playing, like this is another – like they get a bye week to prepare. You got these guys coming in. They're a little tired. They're coming off that emotional – uh, overtime win against the Saints, which they always have these close playoff games. It's a good situation for the Niners to, to really uh, take advantage of. And, I, and as a fan, I hope they do. And also as a better, because I'm betting on the Niners, I hope they do as well. It also needs to not be you know forgotten that they have been a different team since they added Emmanuel Sanders. He gave them that extra threat. They've done a fantastic job of getting Debo Samuel the ball, who is just a beast so is George Kittles, where you can, you know, either give him a handoff, a reverse, a four-yard pass, and turn into a, you know, 50-yard play. And as a Falcons fan, uh, when Shanahan was there, I was amazed at all the people he was able to get involved all the way through the Super Bowl, where we had mm-hmm. not just your Julio Jones or big-time players scoring. And I just 100% in agreement with you. So let's move on to the night game on Saturday. The Tennessee Titans, fresh off their win in New England, are going to Baltimore. The Titans, uh, you know, I think are a bad draw for the Ravens matchup-wise. I think if you ask the Ravens or gave John Harbaugh some true serum, he would tell you out of the four teams that he could potentially have played, or I guess it was actually the three teams he could potentially play uh, in the next matchup, this would be the one he would choose last. Currently the line is the Ravens giving 10, and the over-under is 46-and-a-half. What do you think about this game? Who do you got and why? Um, I hesitate to take the Ravens, like, because nine and a half. But the Ravens are a good team. But if there's one thing that holds true to the uh, playoffs is teams like the Titans have momentum. They come in and, and they typically make a run. 
Now, I'm not saying the Titans can go to the Super Bowl, but we have seen these wild card teams come in hot. When they're, you know, their their uh, wild card playoff game, um, and, and in this case, against all odds to some degree, they went into New England and they and they uh, beat the Patriots. Now they're going into Baltimore and they're a nine and a half point favorite. I I gotta take the nine and a half and hope hope that people buy it up to ten. Actually, I want all the points I can get with Tennessee. I think Tannehill's playing exceptionally well. They are a team that is clicking. Um, Vrabel and that particular team. I think they got what it takes to to slow down Baltimore, not necessarily, you know, beat them. Uh, The key, in my mind, to stopping the Ravens is the gap control on the defensive line. I went back and watched, and it's kind of pathetic, but I did it anyway. I went all the way back to last year's playoff game. I did this a couple weeks ago. I went back, and I watched the Chargers when they played um, the Ravens and and how they were able to slow down uh, Lamar. Now, granted, this system – Greg Roman deserves more credit. Um, he's uh, way more creative with how he uses the line and uh, the uh, looks that he gives people to set up his run. So it's a more advanced version of what they ran last year. But Lamar has exceptional vision. Ingram has exceptional vision. The problem that a lot of people run into is that they don't have gap control that's necessary, which the Niners showed that they did. We played them. And then their linebackers and, and, and defensive backs are not willing to fill in those holes. Um, so with Tennessee, I think they've got the aggressive style of play on their defensive side of the ball to do, you know, to run the scheme that it takes to challenge the Baltimore Ravens offense. And then ultimately, if Lamar can't make his throws, man, I think they're going to struggle a little against the number. And um, with Derrick Henry, if he can get going and uh, they can control the clock, I really think it's going to be a tough situation uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, but I expect them to win, but not cover the number. I uh, I was on RC's podcast on Sunday. We, you know, went over the playoffs, uh, recapped it, and I said that the Ravens have been probably my favorite team to watch this year. It's been amazing to watch Lamar Jackson, and I am actually rooting for the Ravens. Having said all that, I. Not only do I think Tennessee is going to cover, I think they have a great chance of winning the game outright. They've won eight out of their last 11. They now have six wins on the road. Tannehill has been fantastic against the Blitz. The Ravens blitz 55% of the time this season. Tannehill has a passer rating of 120.3 against the Blitz. As you just mentioned, the Titans are very strong up the middle and they fared very well against the only two running back, uh, running quarterbacks they face. Now, granted, Deshaun Watson and Allen for Buffalo are not Lamar Jackson by any means, but it does say a lot that both of those guys had no running room. I think Watson had like 30 yards on nine carries. Allen had like 27 on seven or eight in this last game. And what you just talked about with wild card teams potentially making a run all the way. I think there's four elite teams left in the NFL. I think Baltimore is one of them. I think San Francisco's one, and I think Kansas City's one. The other one, I think, unfortunately for Baltimore, is the Tennessee Titans. And the last two wildcard teams to go on to win the Super Bowl were the 2011 and 12 New York Giants and the 2012-2013 Baltimore Ravens. I think the Tennessee Titans team reminds me a lot of both of them and the fact that they're going to run the football first. 
they have a quarterback that is not what you would consider like a great quarterback, but it's very comfortable and very good. And he's also playing very well at the right moment. And as you said, they have a lot of momentum. Both of those teams won a lot of games late in the season as the Tennessee Titans did. And I'm telling you, I not only would definitely run to get nine and a half, ten points, uh, depending on what that uh, actual money line is, I would think about taking the Titans outright. This is a game, though, that even with, you know, a a fairly average to low over under uh, at 46 and a half, I also really like the under. I think both of these teams are going to want to run the ball uh, you know, kind of run the clock. Both of them have typically long drives, so I could see uh, this being a low-scoring affair. And like I said, I, I definitely like the Titans to cover, and I am almost all the way on. I think they're going to win uh, the game outright. Do you have anything else you want to say on that game before we move on? Yeah, the the biggest key, I think, is, like I said, the gap control, but also with um, – you know, you had mentioned other quarterbacks who were athletic and, and could run and, and how the Titans contained them. None of those quarterbacks have the vision that Lamar has, and that's an intangible that you can't really calculate per se. Um, but I think with Greg Roman and the way that this team operates, if you can get the appropriate penetration, and, and I think gap control is is – defined as that in my mind gap control is appropriate penetration like not just somebody running through a hole but people who run through the hole and and they can feel when the pulling guard is coming or they can they can disrupt the guy from pulling before he can before he can move and if they can if they can get in those situations up front where they're clogging up lanes and, and disrupting the the movement of the offensive line, I really think the Titans have a good chance of an upset. Um, it is, to me, the most tantalizing uh, money line. Uh, it's 3-1, to one, so, you know, you, you're right. If you want to take that shot, it's probably the team to take, man, uh, if you want to take a shot on a money line. Not saying, like I said, that they're going to win, but it would be the most, uh, the best reward for the risk that you're taking. Absolutely. So on Sunday, and I just want to mention because I just noticed this today when we were looking it up, they're actually doing a conference championship starting times on Sunday where the early game is actually going to kick off at 3. The later game, I guess, is 6.30, 7, depending on when that game ends. So you will have Sunday to do your honeydews, go play golf, whatever you like to do, mm-hmm. and then watch football during the afternoon or evening. But the first game on Sunday has the Texans off of their big comeback win, Uh, against Buffalo at home, which was one of the more bizarre coaching performances on both sides I've ever seen, traveling to Kansas City to face, honestly, probably the hottest team in the league, if not one of the hottest teams in the league. The Chiefs are currently a 10-point favorite. The over-under is at 51 points. What do you think about this game? Who do you got? Um... And to read off of my week is is incredible. Um, and <laughs> O'Brien is the I still stand by this. He's the worst coach in the league. I don't know how he's in this situation other than Deshaun Watson is a magician. Uh, I think the Chiefs are hungry. Um, I think the Chiefs also see blood in the water. They've gotten two gifts from the Patriots. Uh, one in the sense that the Patriots gave them a home field uh, or the number two spot, and then two the Patriots eliminated themselves. And I think. Andy Reid's only equal 
or biggest threat from a coaching standpoint in this in this playoff currently left is is Harbaugh, and I do believe that the Chiefs have beat them already once, um, stand a good chance in the rematch as well. So um, I expect them to take full advantage of the situation. Texans uh, defense is not good, um, and if their offense starts slow, they will get blown out. So it's, it's up to Houston how they will play this. Um, they they could come in and and be on their game, and if they start strong and and, and play how they played the first couple weeks of the season, they can cover this and make a game out of it. But if they come out like they did uh, last week, if you go down two touchdowns, the Chiefs, nine times out of ten, you're getting blown out. They're not going to stop. So um, I don't necessarily like the over 51 because I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of the Texans' offense. And I think if the Chiefs go up, like, two to three scores, like, say they're up 21 nothing or something like that, they kind of pull back a little. And uh, because they're not the healthiest of teams either uh, heading to this, and they, and I really think their their sights are on a bigger prize. So if they're up two or three scores, they're not looking to do much else. They're just trying to hurry up and end the game. So I am also big time on the Chiefs. If you were just talking about Andy Reid, it needs to be said he is 18 and three uh, in his coaching career after a bye, which is just. Uh, mind-boggling, honestly. The Chiefs have only allowed just over 11 points per game in their last six. They are 5-1 and one against the spread in those games. It does need to be said, Houston won there in week six, 31-24. Uh, if you remember, though, the Chiefs actually had a, I think, a two-touchdown lead going into the fourth quarter, and then Watson did very similar to what he did in the second half against Buffalo where he just caught fire and they play after play. But an interesting thing that I think will play a bigger factor because I don't think they'll get away with it like they did in that week six matchups. The Chiefs did sack Watson six times. We know that has been an issue this season. If it wasn't for Deshaun Watson being, as you said, a magician, uh, they would have given up even more sacks this season. It seems like he's under pressure all the time. Uh, it also needs to be said that the Chiefs were missing two offensive linemen. Uh, they had two key defensive players that were not there for the Week 6 matchup, and that was also the first week that Tyreek Hill had returned from his injury, so I don't think he was yet at 100%. Uh, it also needs to be stated that Kansas City is still one of the best home field advantages in the NFL. Uh, the crowd is incredible. I'm assuming it's going to be extremely cold in Kansas City, uh, which is not good for a Houston team that obviously plays in a dome. And it needs to be said that this playoff seemed to be lining up for Andy Reid uh, more than, I mean, he could ever in his wildest dreams imagine. Because as I just said, that if you would have gave true serum to John Harbaugh, he would have said the Tennessee Titans were the last team he'd want to play. If you would have gave true serum to Andy Reid, I think the Houston Texans would have been the team he most wanted to play uh, coming into this week because they uh, are getting Houston instead of other teams that are going to try to control the clock. I don't see Houston being able to run on the Chiefs like they did in their Week 6 matchup. Kansas City has really shored up uh, their run defense as the season has moved on. And if they can get by this, and as we talked about, Tennessee could potentially 
uh, you know, upset the Ravens, all of a sudden Kansas City would have to beat Houston at home and Tennessee at home for Andy Reid to get back to a Super Bowl, his first with the Kansas City Chiefs. I also like them to cover the spread. If you could buy it down a little bit, I might like that. I probably would like it, you know, better if you bought a few points and got it to seven or eight. But I, I still would take it even at ten. And this is a game I actually do like the over in. Uh, you know, I like the under in the, the Titans game. I just think that the Chiefs are going to score a lot. And whether the Texans keep it close, which if they do, obviously you're going to hit the over. And even if they don't, I can see Watson, you know, throwing a couple of touchdowns in garbage time late to get them over that number. Uh, I like the Chiefs, and, and they are right now my Super Bowl matchup. If you had to ask me when the postseason started with the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Niners, and it made me feel a lot better about that, seeing the Ravens would have to play the Titans coming off a bye in their first matchup. You got anything else you want to say about this game? I mean, looking at the the lines for the Chiefs and the uh, Titans, if you want, you can tease that. Uh, I would. I mean, you could tease it. You could tease it seven. I think seven is a good number because you would get the Titans at sixteen and a half if you tease it seven. You get the Chiefs at two and a half, which you know is I think in in, in most gambling circles for the NFL, two and a half is a good number. Um, so. It's um, it's one of those things where it just kind of depends on where you want to get it at. Uh, but a, a teaser of those two, I think, would work best this weekend. Absolutely. Let's move on to the final game of the slate, which is uh, the Seahawks. Uh, excuse me, the Seattle Seahawks, who are fresh off their win. In Philly, they are officially the Road Warriors. You might as well call them Animal and Hawk. They are eight and one on the road this year. They're now seven one and one on the road against the spread, and they're going to Green Bay to face the Packers. The current line has the Packers favored by four. I believe that line started at uh, three and a half, so it's it's moved up to four. And the over under is at forty six. Who do you like in this game, and why? Ah, God, so tricky. I mean, the one thing the Packers have always struggled with is scrambling quarterbacks. I don't care what anybody says. I know Dick Capers is not there anymore, but Kaepernick comes to Lambeau, he balls. Uh, Russell Wilson comes to Lambeau, I think he balls too. I don't like the Seahawks. I can't stand them. I hate their face. I don't want to see them again. I, I wish they would just go away. But I think the Packers, and I think we've said this on our NFL podcast, throughout the year, they are one of the worst good teams left. And if you're giving me four with Seattle, it it really is tempting to take that because I think the Packers, even when they win, they do just enough to win. And um, the one thing that scares me is how disruptive the Seattle uh, defensive uh, like line and, and linebackers just in general, their box, the box of that defense right now is very, very disruptive. And I will always worry that Aaron Rodgers is a head case, and, and to some extent he's still bucking on the system um, with his new coach, just like he bucked on McCarthy. And he has this thing in his head that he could just he could just win it his way. And I don't think he's got the people around him to, to do those things. So I'm going to go ahead and take the four with Seattle. 
I'm assuming if they lose it to be by a field goal, but typically what we see with Seattle games like this is that they have the ball at the end of the game and Russell somehow finds a way to, to score. Um, you're also going to get um, max effort from Seattle for garbage time touchdowns. So if they're down 10, they're definitely going to score and, and cut it to three. Um, that's just how they play. Um, so, again, it's a good number for Seattle. Over under at 47, I mean, I'm going to assume it's 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 January and Lambeau, man. <laughs> it's going to be a brick out there. So, I would stay away from that. I'm not looking for that. If anything, I would look for uh, maybe if there's a field goal prop, maybe field goals in the game over three and a half or something like that because Seattle has had a couple struggles with finishing drives and so have the Packers. Um, but I wouldn't touch the over in a game at Lambeau in the middle of January or early January. So looking at the forecast for Sunday, because I want to look it up, the high on Sunday is going to be 25 degrees with a six-mile-an-hour wind, so it is going to be frigid. This is out of the entire slate, the one that I honestly have no idea uh, what to expect or to tell anybody. There are people that I've heard say that the Seahawks only know how to play weird games. That is even more true when they get together with Green Bay. Think about the, the jump ball uh, Monday night football game. Then it on the very interesting call on was it a touchdown interception. Then these teams played in the NFC Championship just a few years ago in a game that I still can't believe that Green Bay lost, if you remember, they had, I believe, a 10-point lead with like a minute and 40 seconds left. Somehow Seattle uh, not only got the field goal, onside kick, and then threw the 50-yard touchdown pass with just a few seconds left. They won the game in overtime. That was the year that they went on to lose to New England in the Super Bowl. Uh, I said earlier, Seattle has the most wins on the road of any team in the league. They are now up to eight when you count the playoffs. Uh, and Green Bay gives up big plays, particularly through the air, which as you watched the game last week, uh, Seattle has two very comparable deep threats in Lockett and especially the Adonis that is their rookie wide receiver. Uh, But on the other side, Seattle has been suspect against the run, and just overall, they have been a different team since Clowney uh, has joined them, but They lead the league in turnovers. I think that you could say, though, without those turnovers, their defense is not by any uh, means great. The last seven games in this series, five of the seven have hit the under. Green Bay, four of the last five games at home have hit the under. Green Bay has a sneaky good defense. I really don't know which way to go and who's going to win this. If you put a gun to my head uh, and I have to make a you know, prediction for this show, I would take Green Bay and give the points, but I don't feel confident about that. I do feel very confident about this game being uh, hitting the under. And I also said on the podcast Sunday with RC on the IB Sports podcast feed that it does feel like it's setting up for a Seahawks crazy run to the Super Bowl where we don't understand how they got there because we know how they're down so many running backs, but Russell Wilson is just that great. They're the, you know, the king of winning close games, and, you know, they go to Green Bay to a team that we both think is not as good as their record. I think that if you look at, like, the 
the pro uh, focus numbers, they really were only supposed to win eight or nine games this year. They won 13. Uh, And then, obviously, if Seattle wins this, and if what we're predicting, San Francisco wins, they're going to play a San Francisco team that's much better than them. But we all know that when teams play a third time uh, in the playoffs when they're division rivals, it's just a coin toss. So that would be the one thing that really scares me about the Green Bay uh, and giving the four points. But it needs to be said, and I, I will ask you this a question, Green Bay is technically a better team because of the fact that Seattle has those injuries. They have been a little suspect against the run. And if Green Bay's smart, they're going to just pound Aaron Jones right and basically you know, put a spy on Russell Wilson and just try to make them beat him by not making big plays and by him not scrambling. Do you agree with those two points? That should be Green Bay's kind of philosophy. It is easier said than done. Um, I mean, you got two quarterbacks that play off script, um, which even if you spy, uh, it creates um, it creates difficulty to contain them because they're so good at improvising. Um, and then their their chemistry with well in Russell's case his chemistry with his receivers is good. Um, he'll always have somebody come back, and um, the the tank that is um, Metcalf will always stretch the field. Um, and the longer you give him time running around, uh, the more likely you're going to have a mismatch somewhere in that secondary. Uh, the the thing about spying, I don't like spying Russell Wilson. Um, I think it gives him too much time. I like to be aggressive against Russell Wilson. Um, when the Niners played played him and, and we were actually getting pressure with that four, but we were also sending an extra man from time to time, mixing it up, I thought it worked best. Um, I've always thought that the downfall to the Niners when we when we were uh, getting beat by Seattle during the Harbaugh era is that Vic Fangio does not blitz a lot. He depends on his front four too much. And you could say he kind of spied with Bowman and Willis, and, and those two guys are definitely superior athletes for um, middle linebackers, but it, it just gives Russell too much time. Like you have to put him under duress for the entire time that he's um, like, you know, during the play, like you can't just spy and wait, you have to go after him. You have to make him move around more. You can't let him dictate where he moves. You need to decide it for him. So if you're going to bring pressure from the right to force him left, it needs to be because that's what you wanted him to do. It shouldn't be that he's going left because he wants to go left. And when you put yourself in those situations against Russell Wilson, he gets comfortable, he makes plays, and then you get beat. Uh, the same could be said with Aaron Rodgers. Um, he's not good at throwing on time, and that, that's more of his thing. Um, and he loves – I think his one downfall is that he loves the big play too much. Um, he, he used to take what people would give him – um, but lately, probably over the last, like, two and a half years, it kind of just went away. It's, you know, whatever Aaron wants to do. Uh, you would think pounding the rock would, would work well um, to kind of control the, the clock, but I truly don't think Aaron Rodgers listens to his coach. I really think he would audible out of that stuff. And, and you, you've, I know you've seen it. I've seen it. Like the looks he gives him um, on the on the sideline and things like that. Uh, when when plays are called, if if a, if a third and one doesn't work, or if they run the ball on fourth and goal or something like that, like you could tell he's frustrated. And 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 that's been an ongoing thing throughout the season. And this is this coach's first playoff game, and Aaron wants to win. So if 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 it doesn't start out pretty. 
I don't anticipate that he will stay uh, the course, and, and I really think um, his ego is going to get in the way, and that'll be just enough for the Seahawks to win. That would be my only fear. I, I think the Packers, even though I said that they're not – even though I said the Packers are um, a bad, good team, they have home field advantage. That's that's a lot in the playoffs because you're looking at the weather. Seattle's coming yep. in, and, and, I mean, like I said, Lambeau in January is, is as good of a home field advantage as you can get. But when your quarterback doesn't listen to the coach, when there's no chemistry there – Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson have won so many games and been successful for a reason. Like, that matters. And I really think that when it's all said and done, if the Packers do lose, that will be the storyline that Aaron Rodgers – well, Aaron never really gets in trouble for it. He gets a pass. But I will be back next week saying that Aaron Rodgers didn't listen. Um, so um, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I don't think spying is the way to go. The Packers have the athletes um, that they can match up, even with DK. He's, I mean, physically he's a monster, but they've got the height uh, at their at their corner positions um, in the safety position where they can at least, um, if it's a vertical throw, as long as they can keep up with them, um, they should be able to contest the the, uh, the the pass. So I would just go after Russell. I wouldn't wait. There's no need to wait. If you wait, he's going to kill you. So just die on your shield if you're going to die, you know? And it, it needs to be said in all seriousness that this is a legacy game for these two quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers has 16 career postseason starts. He's 9-7. and seven. He loses this game. He goes to 9-8. and eight. And I think you will start to see him getting some blame because this would be another home loss against an inferior team, and it's happened quite a bit recently in their playoff history. And on the flip side, if Russell Bustle wins another game, he would move to 10-5 and five in the playoffs. Uh, many of these games, they were underdogs, not favored to win. And the list of quarterbacks with 10 starts, and he would get to that 667 uh, win percentage if he gets to 10-5, and five, that have done that in the history of the NFL playoffs is a very, very good list. Uh, surprisingly, and we'll get those out of the way first, you have Eli Manning and Joe Flacco. But then after that, you have John Elway, two Super Bowl wins. Kurt Warner, who has a Super Bowl win, should have two. Joe Montana, uh, obviously Tom Brady, Troy Aikman, Terry Bradshaw, Jake Plunkett. I mean, that's, you know, some all-time lists there. And... If Aaron loses this, he's getting down into that 500 range, which there's a ton of guys like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, who are great quarterbacks, but you do kind of wonder that list of guys, could they have won more? And I think we're going to start getting into that what if with Aaron Rodgers. We talked a little bit about that on the podcast Sunday, that Drew Brees is in the same boat that he has lost a lot of games at home when they were the favorite and they should have won and he's kind of gotten a pass but I think that as his record continues to shrink and the wins compared to losses and it gets more to even you're starting to hear more people say that I think we're going to get to the same point on Rodgers. Anything else you got before we uh, get to the uh, national championship game on uh, Monday? 
Yeah, I um I don't have a problem with Aaron Rodgers, but like I said, I think he gets a pass, and um, I, it does feel weird to to say one of the best quarterbacks that that we've ever seen um, doesn't listen to his coach or has flaws, but his flaws have never been his ability; it's always been mental. So um, I, I think it's justified the criticism that he gets, and if if they do lose. And it's because, you know, something that he's done as far as not listening to his coach or sticking with the with the scheme, then by all means, I think it's well-deserved that he gets that criticism. And isn't it ironic that the guy that he took over for, Brett Favre, I mean, you could be saying the same thing about Brett, you know what I'm saying, 10, 15 years ago. And Aaron and Brett, we know, did not get along. And it's funny that with a loss here – their win percentages are going to be around the same. Their amount of Super Bowl wins, you know, the the numbers, everything is kind of linked together. Even, you know, the disability with the coaches wanting to play, you know, background football. It's just ironic that they're, they're almost becoming the same guy. So let's uh, move on to the national championship game on Monday, January the 13th. The LSU Tigers will face the Clemson Tigers in New Orleans for the national title. Clemson is going for their third title in four years. That is a historic number. Very few programs have done that. The LSU Tigers are going for the first title since 2007. I honestly cannot remember a national title game I've been more excited for. I know that we just had some of those Clemson-Alabama, you know, games, but by the time you got to, like, the third and fourth, you know, it was kind of played out. Or, excuse me, second and third you know, it's the same thing. This is a fresh matchup. You have LSU led by Joe Burrow, who's playing at just honestly the best level, uh, especially for just a pure passer uh, I've ever seen at the college level. And then on the other side, you have Clemson, who is loaded with guys who have experience, national championship wins, and they have their own great quarterback who people forgot about early in the season, Trevor Lawrence. He was fantastic in the Ohio State game. Currently, LSU is giving five and a half points, and the over-under is 69.5. So they're predicting a shootout. Alan, who do you like in this game and why? I mean, I'm invested in uh, Clemson. Um, I'm still going to do this article. It's going to take so It's going to be so time-consuming, and I, and I keep putting it off, but I really think uh, – I think I'm just going to dedicate myself to a Friday night. Um, I mean, it's tough to, to logically say that LSU would lose. Um, but it's also tough to say that the defending national champion with the quarterback who is 25-0 and 0 is a six-and-a-half-point underdog, and you're not going to take that. Um, so uh, in I'm going by my bookie's uh, stats right, right now yeah, or yeah. odds. Um Six and a half for Clemson. The over under is at seventy and a half. I am one hundred percent on the the train of you can't put this over high enough. It's basically like when they played Bama, uh, when Clemson played Bama last year. I think it was maybe like sixty four to sixty seven, depending on the range. Uh, but you could not put that over under high enough that I wasn't going to take it because you've got two really explosive offenses playing against each other. And it doesn't really matter who's on defense. Honestly, they're going to get their points. Um, 
I think that uh, Clemson has the better staff. I refuse to believe that Coach O can outcoach Dabo. But, however, Joe Brady is the X factor. And um, Burrow is probably the best college quarterback I've seen since I've been paying attention to college football. And, and it's just because like I, I hesitate to call him perfect, but you have to understand the way he processes information in real time is next level for a college player. It's ridiculous. Like him picking up a glitch, him knowing when to run, him checking down, going through his progressions, finding the open man. Like he has never made a mistake the entire year, basically. And that's why they've been so good. No matter who they've played, that's why they've been mm-hmm. so good. And if there's one thing that I think gives Clemson the advantage, it's that Venables does not give a fuck who he plays. And I, and I put an emphasis on the F. He's going to blitz. He's going to bring pressure. He's going to literally go out on his shield. And I think that's the type of mentality that you have to have against LSU um, and against Joe Burrow is you, you literally have to – sacrifice for the greater good. You have to send people. You can't let him sit back there and get comfortable. You have to uh, make him check down, and you have to be precise with your open field tackling. You can't let these dudes get yards after the catch. If he throws a four-yard pass, it's got to be a four-yard completion. It can't be seven yards. It can't be ten yards and things like that. So it's going to take an all-out effort on the players and a very calculated approach from Clemson. And I'm still sticking to my guns that uh, Clemson is going to win this game. I took them, shoot, what, two months ago at, at yep. plus 250 to win the national championship. So, like I said, I'm invested. Um, logic would say LSU wins, but the gambler in me says that you you got a guy 25-0 and 0 and, and, and a, a coach like Dabo and a team like Clemson in general, I'm not even worried about the defense, the offense of Clemson returning all these guys that basically blitzed the uh, Alabama team last year, you got to take the points, man. You got to take the points. I, uh, just to point out what you were talking about, about Clemson and the scoring and the over, which I also love, even though it's 70 points, uh, Clemson obviously has been in three national title games. They've all been against Alabama in those three games, which, again, Alabama is a much better defense uh, all three years than this LSU team. Clemson scored 40 points in the first one, 35 in the second one, and 44 in the third one. Uh, and we all agree that LSU should put up plenty of points as well. So I also really love the over. I, I think LSU is going to win the game because – I just I think it's so huge for them that this game is being played in the Superdome in New Orleans. Uh, if this was being played anywhere else, I would be saying to take Clemson on the money line. Uh, you know, history usually says that especially when a team that is the defending champ is back and they haven't lost in 29 games uh, and they're the underdog, at, especially at that level, you should be not only taking the points, but taking them straight up. So I would take LSU to win the game, but I think it's going to be close. I, I just don't see Clemson getting blown out. They have too much experience. 
Uh, you know, Trevor Lawrence is incredible. Dabo Sweeney is going to out-coach Coach O. Uh, and that's nothing against Coach O. It's just Dabo Sweeney is arguably the best coach in college football right now uh, and one of the best recruiters, obviously. I, I see it being a close game. I would take LSU to win, Clemson to cover, and I am genuinely excited to watch this football game. Uh, the one thing that scares me for LSU is what you mentioned. Joe Burrow has had the most incredible season I've ever seen. I would still take Cam Newton as the greatest like quarterback college-wise I've seen for a single season because of all the things he could do. And uh, Burrow has, I think, more uh, talent around him than Cam Newton did the year that they won the national title and went undefeated. But, I mean, he just hasn't had a bad game. I mean, I went back and looked, and his completion percentage is so much higher than everybody else in college football. If you look at his completion percentage downfield, it's unbelievable the difference in his completion percentage versus everybody else. The thing that worries me is everybody is known to have a bad game. And I do worry that he's just due to be a little bit off. And I think if he is a little off, this is the wrong team for him to have that week against. So I'm going to take Clemson with the points. I am going to say I think LSU is going to win the game, maybe by a field goal, maybe by a point. I don't know. I just feel like that with that game being in the dome, LSU will find a way to win this title. Uh, But I also like the over. Anything else you want to say on the national title game before we get to the golf and finish up this podcast? Yeah, the the winners in this situation are going to be the fans. I, I think these are the two best teams. Uh, Clemson solidified themselves as the second best team uh, when they beat Ohio State, and we already saw how LSU be doing people. <laughs> yep. So um, we don't have to I, I really think what happened in the SEC title game. Yeah, and and so I think <laughs> I think this is um, this is going to be a great game, and I can't wait to see it. The one other thing I do want to say is just that. Can we end the narrative that Clemson isn't any good because they play in the ACC? I'm an SEC fan. I'm a Georgia fan. Does it make me mad that Clemson typically has an easy path to this game? Yes. But they can't help that. They're in the conference that they are. And they have proven over the last four to five years that they are, without a doubt, one of the top two programs in the country. They are number one, really, for the last four or five years. And I just get so sick of people going, well, are they any good because, you know, the ACC so bad? You told me going into the Ohio State game where almost everybody was picking Ohio State that you loved Clemson. They won that game. And I'm just – to me, it's the tired narrative – you know, you're especially in college, even more so than NFL. Your strength of schedule, a lot of times, just is what it is. And you know, those games, especially the out of conference, are made years in advance. And I'm just tired of hearing that. You know, well, the ACC sucks, so Clemson's overrated. They're not overrated. They're in their fourth national title game in five years. They've made the playoffs all five years, and they're about to potentially win three titles in four years. The ACC may be down, but Clemson is a lot of things. They are not overrated. Yeah, right? um, my man uh, Marcus, uh, who does the college podcast with me, um, he he says it best. It's not who you beat, it's how you beat them, you know? Exactly. And um, that's why um, – 
him and I and, and uh, some other people who typically watch college football, we still respect Clemson. Even though Clemson plays in the Powder Puff Conference, we still respect Clemson. That's why when Clemson struggles with North Carolina, but they end up in the playoffs against Ohio State, I still pick Clemson because I know what I'm seeing. Like, I'm watching this team. It's it's not it's not uh, about the conference as much as it is about I play people. Technically, Alabama doesn't really play anybody until exactly. they – so they play like uh, the the championship game typically, um, and and it just depends on you know how the schedule set up. But again, you you can't read too much into A play B. So then obviously that winner can beat Team C or something like that. Like it just doesn't matter. And in boxing, uh, we always say style make styles make fights. The same can be said for uh, football. Like schemes make teams. You know, like you gotta, you yep. gotta see how people match and things like that. And Trevor Lawrence is a special talent. Antian is a special talent. Uh, Ross Higgins, these guys are they're, they're talent, man. And and they've got a special coach, a special staff. They got continuity from a team that just won a national championship. You already talked about how they they basically they're on their third chance uh, to to win a title in four years. Uh, Sunshine was talking about it um, in one of his interviews. He's like, a lot of these guys who are seniors were on the team that lost to Alabama as freshmen. Like, you can't discredit that. That means everything, everything uh, in the college game. So, uh, like I said, another part of me is still picking Clemson because they've been here before. And this is LSU's first time. And the pressure is on LSU and the – I think the um, the the momentum and 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 um, attitude and everything is on Clemson's side because they have really been getting disrespected every step of the way this year, even going into the Ohio State game because of who they play. And the last time people did this to them, they beat the crap out of Alabama. Now I don't know if they're going to beat it's the crap out of LSU. Ago. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to beat the crap out of LSU because it's a good team, but they're going to bring their A plus plus game. And that's why I'm excited to see this. Me too. Uh, so we're going to move on to golf. You, uh, if you guys don't know, I'm, I'm a huge golf fan. Uh, Alan has really gotten to golf in the last couple of years, and he is just unbelievable with his golf picks. <laughs> golf is by far my strongest suit uh, in, you know, gambling and picks because I just I watch so much golf. So, the PGA Tour season uh, in 2020, because they actually do a wraparound where the season starts in 2019, it's really confusing. We won't get into that, but the second tournament of the 2020 calendar year and the second straight tournament in Hawaii uh, is this week, the Sunny Open. This is a full field event. The week before was just players who had won a tournament the previous year. Uh, the, the tour is just right now as good as I can ever remember it. Uh, last week, Justin Thomas won again in a playoff with our boy Xander Shoffley and everybody's favorite punching bag, Patrick Reed. Uh, interestingly enough, all three guys had a legit opportunity to win the tournament. Both Justin Thomas and Xander missed golden opportunities on the 72nd hole. Uh, and then Patrick Reed on the second playoff hole. All he needed was a two-putt. Granted, it was not the easiest in the world, but I thought it was over when he hit it just in front of the green, and Justin Thomas had 20 feet for birdie. He three-putted. J. 
JT on the third playoff hole when he got his second opportunity, took advantage of it. Uh, it's already uh, his uh, multi, it's second PGA Tour win this season. Uh, he is stacking up wins at a really quick pace since he has came back from the injuries that kind of made him get off to a slow start in the 2019 season. Uh, Alan, I'll go first since this is your kind of forte. I broke it down to where I have long shots, guys I like, and then a winner. My long shot is Abraham Answer. I, I can't understand why he's 50 to 1. Uh, first of all, I just want to say this week the key stats, and that's what you should do, and I think Alan would, you know, second this is you find areas that a golf course sets up for this week the big things are going to be strokes gained approach bogey avoidance uh, good drives gained and strokes gained on par fours that has to do with the golf course the length of it the fact that it's a par 70 that means there's only two par fives and in Hawaii there's typically a lot of wind so ball striking is a key the fact that Abraham answer is 50 to 1 just is too high of odds for a player playing at the level he is right now. He has two top tens already in the 2020 wraparound season that started in 2019. He has some previous success. He finished 29th here last year. I believe that was his first appearance there. And he's coming off a fantastic President's Cup where he was one of the stars for an international team that for the first time in many President's Cups almost won the President's Cup. Uh, he played fantastic. Uh, and then there's some guys that I like. I really like uh, Joaquin Neiman and Kevin Kisner, who are both 33-1. to 1. I really like Mark Leishman. I believe he was 44-1. to 1. Uh, All three of those guys are ball strikers. Neiman is playing fantastic right now. Kisner and Leishman are almost always good on golf courses that are premium for finding fairways, hitting greens and regulation. So I really like all three of those guys. And then the winner, it's kind of a cheat, but Justin Thomas has reached that level that Brooks Kepka has in majors and Tiger Woods did many times in his career where he's playing so well. And even though the odds are 9-2, to two, I'm going to ride this dude until he proves me wrong. I would do a top 10 pick on him. I'd do a top 5 pick on him, and I would do him to win, even though the odds are not great, obviously. But when a player is playing this great, and I truly believe that Justin Thomas wants to be known as the best golfer in the world, and that doesn't just mean as the number one ranked player in the world, but I think he knows how great he is. He knows the abilities he has. And he knows he's still at that age and has only been on the tour so long and is already getting in a class and, you know, the quickest a certain amount of wins and all, all these other stats that if he can continue to rack up W's, you eventually get this aura to where the field is going to fold when you're going head-to-head with that person coming down the stretch. I'm going to continue to ride the Justin Thomas wave. What do you got on this tournament, Alan? Uh, man, I mean, it's just, it's the perfect course for Justin Thomas. Uh, funny story is, um, I don't think I was betting on golf back in 2017, but, um, I was talking to Ian about it, um, 
earlier today. It's on top of my head. I was like, yeah, I haven't really looked at it too much as far as the research. I don't typically do my golf research till Wednesday night anyway um, because that's when all the information is pretty much out there. I was like, but I, I heard it was a short course, and I looked it up on uh, Roto Grinders. I think it's like a par 70 or something like that, and I was like, well, typically that's the course that I take Justin Thomas on because he, he just absolutely eats on smaller courses. And uh, he was like, yeah, he's got the course record there. And I was like, well, damn. <laughs> like, I mean, it makes sense. Like, he's 5-1 to one right now. Um, I'm going to hedge with Justin Thomas. Um, so whatever picks I make, I'm just going to make sure I throw Justin Thomas in there as a hedge at 5-1 to one because he he's won back-to-back before when I've played him. So I'm not scared to do that. Typically, I don't like to play uh, people back-to-back. But when Brooks was I believe hot, he's done it and, twice and, in his career, Alan. Yeah. So, I mean, he's not just and, done and, this once. He's done it twice. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not scared at all uh, to do that. And then um, just looking at uh, what I was seeing on PGHTour.com, it looks like water's in play on a couple holes as well, um, which kind of changes uh, your approach a little because you don't want to lose strokes because people are hitting it in the water. Uh, the, the fairways on the designs that I'm seeing, like the little like layouts on uh, com, they don't look as wide. Um, and, I, and I heard there's some trees uh, out there as well, but it's still typically windy. So ball striking is going to be a premium. Everybody knows I love to pick my ball strikers. Neiman is definitely <laughs> one of my favorite young ball strikers. Um, so I'm I'm definitely going to play him probably in a prop. He's still a little shaky to me on, on winning from time to time, but uh, Neiman and Anthony will probably uh, find their way into some props of mine. I'm, I'm not 100% sure how. Uh, just yet. Um, JT and I, and I think Hideki should be the two favorites. Um, Hideki, I think you're getting good value with him at 16 to one, um, just based off of how he played um, the last time that he was out on the tour. I think Patrick Reed's going to be set for a down down um, week. Webb Simpson, I, I mean. He's very solid, but there's just something about Webb that makes me mad when I see him at 11 and one and coming in. So I really feel like that's Hideki's uh, spot to be 11 and one. So I, I think I'm getting value with Hideki, so I'm probably going to play him as well. Um, somebody that maybe sneak up on somebody, maybe, um, and and he's he's a guy that I know a lot of gamblers like him, uh, especially on um, the daily fantasy. Uh, Emilio, Emiliano Grillo. He's not yeah, a bad ball right. striker. He's he's got a he's got a little inconsistency from time to time, but I I think on smaller courses like this, um, I've seen him go for big numbers in the past, and he's one of those guys that, that if he gets hot, he he could find his way uh, in the top five because he shot a, a eight or nine under on one of the rounds. So. Um, he hasn't put it together yet this year. I want to say maybe last year or the year before that, he had a couple instances where he did put together some uh, some pretty good performances and, and cut the top 20. But I think uh, between him and Carlos Ortiz, those are two guys at, at 71 and 80 to 1, like very high odds that you could take a look at as a long shot play. I love all of those. And uh, be sure to – when do you usually post your official picks, Alan, for the um, VIP or All-Star members? So I, I was doing it for the All-Star members. Um, I might bring it back uh, a little 
I just cause I just started doing uh, an NBA play a day, which I did still from some guys on Twitter in regards of that, um, that calling it that. Um, I mean, that's what they do. They give out one NBA play uh, per day, and um, because NBA is kind of hard to cap, so they don't put a lot into it. And so I'm wondering if if I should go back to doing um, doing golf because I had good karma when I was posting those free plays. I was winning a lot, <laughs> so I, I might I might at least, at least carry it until. Yeah, I was gonna say at least carry it until um, until we hit the uh, the majors, and then the majors I'll I'll pull back some. But um, I typically will post those on um, Wednesday nights because depending on the tournaments, like this is a it's in Hawaii, so they're probably not gonna tee off until like noon. Um, so the cutoff times though um, vary from time to time. So it'll say wager cutoff for this is January 9th. Um, at 5 a.m. It's it's going to be another, unfortunately, because of them being in Hawaii, uh, yeah. long nights watching the golf tournament if you're into it. But it is a great golf course. It's a beautiful uh, golf course. And I'm telling you, the PGA Tour has just, honestly, for the last year, been on fire in the sense that there's so many good players right now that each week uh, there's a lot of drama coming down the stretch and it, it's just honestly a great sport to watch and a lot of people think it's boring obviously if you wager on it uh it'll get a lot more exciting uh but you should definitely check out this week's tournament we will be back next tuesday you got any podcasts or any other things you want to plug alan no i mean um just if anybody's listening like for real um we're heating up on college basketball and uh i'm still offering well for the bowl season, people, I felt really terrible because we literally lost, like, six bets off of, like, the last second, like, touchdowns and stuff. So um, I extended an invitation to those guys to do the rest of the month of January uh, for college basketball at, at $25. And uh, they, they hit a parlay and uh, two uh, heavy bets today that I pulled out. I call them hammers. And uh, we hit two of those today, and, and we're looking pretty good for the for the nightcap games as well. So um, I would just encourage people to keep an eye on on stuff like that. I mean, if you're interested, it's $150 for the month, but we're getting into that point where where it's going to be the gambling mecca. We're going to hit March, and you don't want to miss March Madness. Um, I might can't recreate the magic that I had last year. I was 68% for the entire March Madness last year, uh, including upsets. So I might can't recreate that, but we're we're definitely going to be 60% or better, and it's a perfect time to make money. So you want to get on that train, now is the time. We're hitting conference play, and um, you can make some good money from January to the end of March. And just again, you heard what he just said he did during March Madness. He did a pick and pull for me and my brother-in-law where I, I did the percentage. You hit 67%. These were 10 games a week. He did not get to pick the games. It was the line at the beginning of the week. I had to turn it in early, so he really didn't even have too much time to think about it, and he hit that much of a percentage. I believe, if I counted correctly, he gave 12 overall winners on the uh, PGA Tour last year. Some of them were really big odds. I mean, I'm talking 25 uh, to 1 or higher 
Uh, he really knows what he's doing. You should be listening to him. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Please, if you have not, uh, be sure to go to iTunes. Follow the IB Sports podcast feed. There's so much great content. Uh, RC has a ton of good podcasts. Your college show during the college football season. Uh, and then, obviously, this podcast that we're going to try to, uh, you know, put out every Tuesday night. And then please join the Facebook group. Uh, there's roughly, I think, four or 5,000 members. It is the most entertaining. Uh, welcome to the Thunderdome, I guess, would be the best way to describe <laughs> it. But, it, but it's, it's wonderful chaos. If you love sports, uh, it's a wonderful group. You seriously should go. Uh, and follow and uh, ask to join that group. And we will be back next Tuesday with, as you heard earlier, what we named the backdoor cover, where we will, you know, briefly discuss the uh, NFL games from this week. Obviously, we'll do some conference championship picks. uh, And then we're going to get into basketball, and we will continue to do golf most weeks as well. So, Alan, I hope you have a great evening, and we will talk soon, buddy. All right, bro. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care.